All right, welcome, my friends. This is Declaring Liberty. I'm your host, Mark Pantano. Today is September 27th. It is Friday, thank goodness, because I need a break from all this crap. But since it is still relatively early on a Friday, I shall uh, continue to be mired in this crap as we talk about impeachment again. And we'll be talking about this probably for weeks, if not months to come. So let's get into it. Um, all right. We don't know a lot more today than we did yesterday. It's, it's still basically the transcript of the phone call and the whistleblower report. The whistleblower report is um, hearsay and allegations. <clears throat> Beyond that, all we have is a lot of chatter in the media. We have a lot of speculation. We have a lot of theorizing. That's what we have. If this is all we end up having, uh, nothing much is going to come of this. Uh, you can't impeach and remove a president from office based on hearsay by an anonymous witness. That You just can't. Now, technically, if you have enough votes, you can do it. But practically speaking, you're never going to get enough votes if that's all you've got. So they're going to have to produce more than this. And I fully expect them to um, because this whistleblower report talks about other witnesses and, and there's, there's a lot of avenues of investigation if you just follow the whistleblower report. And so I expect us to start hearing names of people involved. We're going to eventually have to find out who this whistleblower is. That person is going to have to identify witnesses that they alluded to in their report. And those witnesses might lead to other witnesses, might lead to other information and documents. And who knows where this thing ends up going. <clears throat> but don't be misled. See, here's how I am going to approach what I believe to be my role in all this. I try to be as honest with you as I can on this podcast. I'm a conservative, but I am not a political hack. And increasingly, I am disgusted by all the political hackery on our side. Um, the commentators, the radio guys, especially the radio guys, I'm just so disgusted with them. They're such hacks. They are such sellouts. Ah, but you know this. I've been complaining about this for a while. I see it as my responsibility, or I'm taking it as my... I'm giving myself this responsibility to be as honest with you as I can all the time about everything. Uh, whether it's something I think you want to hear or not. The problem with so much of conservative media, phony-ass conservative media, is that they only tell you what they think you want to hear. And more importantly, they do not tell you anything that they think you don't want to hear. Because in the age of Trump, in the age of hyper-partisan, social media-fueled political discourse, everything is so polarized, nobody can tolerate anything that they don't want to hear. And I know why these, these talk radio guys and everybody else in conservative media have become such sellouts. It's because if they say anything that their listeners or viewers or readers don't want to hear, they will be attacked and abandoned. They, people will stop listening, stop reading, stop watching. That's why. That's the main reason. Um, and it, it's a problem. It's a serious problem. And... The, the easiest thing to do if you want to attract the biggest audience possible and keep them there is to tell them what they want to hear and more importantly, don't say a single thing that they don't want to hear. That's, that's at the heart of it. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think, whether it's what you want to hear or not. And hopefully there are enough of you who feel the same way, who are serious people, who I hope, you know, agree with me on the issues. And even if you don't agree with me on the issues, that's fine too. 
I am perfectly happy uh, and welcome anyone who doesn't agree with me politically to listen to this podcast. I value debate. I really do. I am not one of these people who, there's so much of this now. It's people only follow and listen to people that they agree with and they block anyone they don't agree with. I mean, you see this on social media all the time. Someone says anything that they don't agree with and they block them. They, they won't even hear any opposing points of view. I have a lot of liberals who follow me and I engage with them frequently. Um, because the truth of the matter is there are, there's not a lot of them, but there are some serious, well-meaning, considerate leftists. There really are. Again, not a lot, but they exist. And if you're one of those, welcome to this podcast. I appreciate you listening. But I know there's probably not a lot of you. Um, I, I know my audience is probably mostly conservatives who are not political hacks. Because if you're a political hack, you abandoned me long ago. And honestly, good riddance. I hope you come back. I hope you get your head on straight. I hope you, you know, abandon the cult crap. I hope you take, at some point, your citizenship seriously. You're a free American citizen. And... Our elected politicians work for us. They are our representatives, and uh, they are supposed to do our will, not the other way around. We are not supposed to be loyal subjects to the people we elect. But that's too often on our side how people approach politics. Count me the hell out of it. Even before this impeachment thing, that has been my approach. And that is going to be my approach throughout this impeachment thing, however it goes, and from there on out, and for as long as I am doing this podcast, writing and uh, speaking out. Excuse me. That is going to be my approach. That is my role. I hope hope you guys appreciate it. And if you do, I have a favor to ask. Please... Recommend this podcast to every like-minded, serious-thinking person that you know. Because it's very hard to grow this podcast when this is my approach. It would be so much easier for me to grow this podcast. I would be growing it by leaps and bounds if I were just to do what everybody else does and engage in the Republican hackery. You know, the the Trump cultism. I could do that. I could fake it. I could do that and and grow this podcast. But that's not why I'm doing this podcast. But I would like, nonetheless, I would like to grow it as much as possible, to reach as many people as possible who want to be serious. Because it is possible to support a politician and not be a sycophant. It is possible. Uh, as most of you in the audience know. I just don't have the tolerance for um, the cheerleaders because they're not serious people. And as I've explained to you many times, they're part of the problem. Okay, enough uh, of that rant. The point is, please help me to expand and grow this podcast because there's really no other way that I'm going to do it except word of mouth by all of you. All right, so that's that's uh, <laughs> that's just a fact. Now, because it is my responsibility, my self-assigned responsibility, to be as objective and honest with all, on all these issues as I can with my audience. Here's my concern about this impeachment thing. I think it's much more serious than uh, most of the sellout conservatives. Uh, are telling their audiences that this is. Now, a lot of them are just too stupid to see what's going on here or what could be going on here and to game out the possible repercussions. We've got a lot of people in conservative media who really aren't that bright. And some of them have actually risen to the, the absolute heights of the conservative commentary class and 
uh, it's really quite amazing. Some of our dumbest commentators are some of the biggest hosts, amazingly enough. I'm not going to name any names, but um, <laughs> whatever. Okay, so they might not really know what they're talking about in all this. This really analyzing this stuff objectively is is maybe over their head for some of them. The others, well, they're largely just political hacks. Okay, so here's why I think this has the potential to be far more serious than you're hearing elsewhere. Um, here's what looks like may have happened. And I, this is all with a huge asterisk because we don't, again, we don't have facts. But based on what we do know, the allegations and so far what has come out, it looks like the President of the United States may have used the power of his office to pursue his personal political interests in an improper way. That is at the heart of this. It's basically an abuse of power issue. Um, <clears throat> now that may not turn out to be true at all. But based on the allegations, and so far what we've learned, nothing has uh, disproven any of those allegations. That is at the heart of it. To what degree all of that may have happened, I don't know. But to me, that is a far more serious issue than people on our side will acknowledge. It's important to keep in mind that there is a difference here. There's some gray area that people don't seem to appreciate. <clears throat> a president can act in his official capacity and then he can act in his personal capacity. The problem here is the entanglement of the two. When a president uses his, his power as president to pursue personal objectives, that's where abuse of power comes in. I don't know, again, that this happened or not, but that is at the heart of the allegation. If Trump used his office to pressure a foreign government to investigate Joe Biden for his own political purposes, that is, Trump's own political purposes, that is an improper abuse of power. Whether or not that is criminal will depend on facts. I don't know. It certainly uh, becomes more likely to be criminal if there was a quid pro quo involved, if Trump held out taxpayer money in the form of foreign aid um, to this president of the Ukraine and said, you're not getting this money unless you investigate Joe Biden. That makes it even worse. But we don't know any of that. That's what this all... Ultimately, this is all going to hinge on facts. And right now, we don't have any. All we can do is speculate. Everyone out there is speculating. I don't normally like to engage in speculation, but right now, we can't discuss this seriously without speculating um, coming up with our best theories based on the information we know. And as we learn more information, we can tweak our theories, change our theories, change our speculation. But for purposes of discussing this, we kind of have to engage in some degree of speculation because we just don't have facts. Now, I could just hold off and say, well, until we have more facts, I'm not going to discuss this at all. But I think it's important to discuss it <clears throat> so that we properly understand this. Um, and so the, that basically is what I think may have happened. And if that did, let me tell you right now, I do think that's an impeachable offense. I, I do think that that's serious. And I do think that the Senate could remove him from office based on that. If there was money involved, 
if there was threats or a quid pro quo arrangement involved, I think Trump will be impeached, and I think chances are better than 50-50 that he will be removed from office. Excuse me. Um, Here's the thing. And this is where you separate the hacks from people whose primary allegiance is to truth, is to the Constitution, is to principle. Trump is not always going to be president. My allegiance is not to him. The problem is that most people on our side, their allegiance is to him. It is to a person. We've become a cult of personality on our side. That's what's happened. And that's why it is, it's difficult to discuss this stuff. But to me, you know, principle matters. And it is improper for any president <clears throat> to abuse the power of their office to, en- to enrich themselves or either financially or uh, in other ways. There's, there doesn't always have to be a financial corruption component to an abuse of power case. Trying to use the power of your office to get an improper political advantage is also an abuse of power. Now, the gray area exists here. Here's here's where the gray area is. It is arguably perfectly proper for the President of the United States to, you know... um, urge the president of Ukraine to investigate a scandal that may also involve a political opponent. That is perfectly fine, in my opinion. The president has a an interest, the American people have an interest in that. He, he is perfectly fine in doing that, if he's doing it to advance American interests. The problem is that it sounds like he did this not to advance America's interests, or the, as the allegations go. He may have done this not to advance American interests, but to advance his own personal political interests. <clears throat> and the evidence of that is the involvement of Rudy Giuliani. That, to me, is the troubling aspect of this that we know as a fact happened. Giuliani admitted it. Trump admits it on the phone call. We've heard it. Rudy Giuliani is not a government official. He cannot, as a private citizen, be conducting business on behalf of the United States. He is not. He is acting in Trump's personal interest. He is his personal attorney. That is the role in which he was communicating with these people. That is a problem. And that's where the gray area turns into black and white. Because it's fine to do certain things in the interests of the United States in exercising your power. It is not okay to exercise your power for personal reasons. And involvement of your personal attorney to pressure another government to investigate a political opponent, that sure as hell looks like you are using the power of your office to advance your personal interests. If that turns out to be the case, I think Trump will be impeached, and then we're gonna have to see what happens in the Senate. I think this is way more serious than people think. Now, uh, to some of the facts. Really, I want to address just some of the things I'm hearing on our side. I'm hearing that there's nothing to this because there's no evidence of a crime in this phone call. I hear that all over the place. The problem is the phone call isn't all to the... It's not the whole story. That's, That's not the whole story. It's everything else that is surrounding this phone call. This phone call didn't take place in a vacuum. 
There were other communications leading up to this phone call, and there were communications that happened after this phone call. It's not, and it's not just what the president did or said, it's what other people did at the president's direction and request. All of that needs to be looked into. All of that is going to be looked into. So this is not just about the phone call. And as I said yesterday, these phone calls between heads of states, they don't just pick up the phone and call each other and then start talking. Oftentimes, there were preliminary conversations between staffs back and forth to say, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to say. This is what we're going to request. So that there's no surprises. Heads of state aren't going to be surprised on a phone call with each other. And it's obvious from listening, uh, reading the transcript of the phone call, that there were preliminary communications. It's it's obvious to a trained ear listening to that or reading that. There were preliminary communications. What were those about? And what happened afterwards? Trump wanted, and here's the problem, even in that phone call, Trump tells Zelensky, president of Ukraine, that he wants to put his people in touch with William Barr, which would have been perfectly proper because William Barr is a government official, he is an attorney general, and if Trump's interest was just in, you know, uh, investigating corruption that we have an interest in, then putting his attorney general in contact with, with Ukraine people, that would be proper. But then he says, and I'm going to put you, you know, I want you to talk with Rudy Giuliani. Well, that's, that's where it's problematic because Rudy Giuliani is his personal attorney. Why would Trump be putting government officials from Ukraine, who he is trying to pressure to investigate his political opponent, in touch with his personal attorney? That just sounds improper. We're going to have to hear about that. What was that about? I'm not making conclusions. I'm not drawing conclusions. What I'm telling you is, these are the reasons why I think this has the potential to be far more serious than the hacks on our side are saying. They just want to casually dismiss this all as a witch hunt. They just want to use the same defense that they have been using all along. Uh, and, And all along, up to this point, that defense, claiming that everything is a partisan witch hunt and there's nothing to any of this, has largely been the correct defense because it's largely been true. I mean, the Russia collusion thing was a witch hunt. It was fake. There was nothing to it. This, there appears to be something to to this. This was not made up. The phone call did happen. We read it. So this wasn't completely made up. Now, has it been blown up? Um, ha- have allegations that are false been made as a result of this phone call? That may be the case. But it's not completely made up out of whole cloth. And to dismiss it as such is uh, just lying to ourselves. Now, here's another concern. People on our side dismiss this whistleblower report. Oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. This is all hearsay. They weren't there. They don't know. They have no credibility. Now, I understand that political argument. Here's the problem. When someone doesn't have first-hand knowledge and they're telling you that they're relying on other people for their information, what you do is you test the information that they provide to see if it sounds credible or not. I mean, ultimately, you want to find out who those, these other people are that they that provided the information and talk to them. You want to go straight to the source. But right now, all we have is this hearsay statement. So how can we check it and see if this person is credible at all? You know, just me and you. What, what can we do? Well, we can only look at what we know. And what we know is this transcript. This whistleblower describes the conversation that President Trump had with Zelensky. Well, we have, a, we have the transcript of that call, so we can compare the two. Is what the whistleblower claimed happened in this phone call accurate? 
Well, uh, largely it is accurate. And that's a problem because it lends some degree of credibility to this whistleblower. And it makes you wonder if they were largely correct about the phone call, are their other allegations correct? Well, just because they might have been, been accurate in describing this phone call doesn't necessarily mean that their other allegations are accurate, but it makes it a little bit more likely that they are. So that should be concerning because some of these things that this whistleblower says are problematic. And if they turn out to be true, they could be very problematic. But we're going to find out because these witnesses will have to be found out. They will have to testify under oath and we'll see. We'll see where it goes. <clears throat> and if they don't come forward, if they don't go under oath and provide testimony and evidence, then this is going to go nowhere. But if they do, we're going to have to see what they say. I mean, Democrats have to know this. I watched this hearing yesterday and they seemed to, you know, they wanted assurances that uh, from Trump's uh, director of national intelligence, they wanted assurances from him that this whistleblower would be protected. Well, this whistleblower is going to have to come forward. You cannot impeach a president on hearsay testimony from an anonymous witness. So Democrats, if you are going to want to impeach this guy, this whistleblower is going to have to have, they're going to have to give up their whistleblower status. They're going to have to give up their anonymity. They're going to have to go under oath. They're going to have to testify in front of your committee or you're not, you don't have anything. And so they, they have to know this. Now, a couple other things, um, just to address some of the things I'm hearing out there. Now, in my doing this, I am not, I'm not trying to make the Democrats case that the president is guilty. That's not at all what I'm doing. And I am telling you that based on what I'm seeing right now, if this is all they got, then I don't support impeachment. Um, no one should support impeachment. No president should be impeached over this. This is just allegations and hearsay, right? But my point in going through some of the things I hear Republicans saying is because I think Republicans are engaged in hackery, number one, and they're, they're deluding themselves. It doesn't help to lie to yourselves and only give the one side because it gives you a massive blind spot. All right, so Mark Levin is out there. I listened to his show last night. He's... I have to address Mark Levin a little bit because he's doing the rounds on Fox. <clears throat> he was on Hannity. President Trump tweeted out his segment on Hannity this morning. So the things he is saying are out there and they're being repeated and they're becoming part of the Democrat, I mean the Republican talking points on this, this issue. Now, Mark Levin raises some good points. The problem is they're not dispositive points. They're not proof it, it, they're not refutations. They're political arguments, largely. Now, one of them is that he claims Adam Schiff and the Democrats have been colluding with this whistleblower. They've known who this whistleblower is for some time. This is part of a well-orchestrated takedown effort. <clears throat> and what I want to say about that is that that may be true, and I don't doubt that it is. Just based on Democrat track record, it's very likely that this is the case. And it's obvious that this whistleblower is an anti-Trump person. However, just because the whistleblower may be an anti-Trump person does not necessarily mean that they're not, they don't have evidence of wrongdoing. I mean, if there are plenty of anti-Trump people in the government having access to information. And if they have access to information that is damaging to the president, the fact that they are anti-Trump alone does not discount the evidence. <clears throat> Similarly, just because the Democrats may be colluding with this person and this is orchestrated, does not necessarily mean that the allegations are false. Now, it certainly goes to credibility, it certainly goes to motive, it certainly goes to the politics of all this stuff, which ultimately can be an important component 
to this whole thing because ultimately impeachment is political despite what Mark Levin always says. Um, I'll just do a quick aside. Mark Levin gets very angry and tells you that uh, impeachment is not political. Um, and he, he talks about how it's supposed to be more than political. It's a constitutional process uh, and all that. And, and high crimes and misdemeanors has a specific meaning. The founders intended it to have a specific meaning. That is all absolutely true. The theoretical part of that is 100% accurate, and I agree. The problem is, practically speaking, impeachment is 100% political. Practically speaking, it's political. In truth, a president can be impeached and removed from office for really anything, as long as there's enough votes. Okay, And, and it's, it's a non-justiciable issue. The courts are not going to get involved. It's a political question. And I'm sure Levin, if he's going to be honest, would admit that. Okay, it's a, a purely political question. <clears throat> the Constitution gives the courts no role in in uh, the question of impeachment, in reviewing the decision by the political branches of Congress on impeachment and removal. That is completely and solely the responsibility of the House and the Senate. And upon conviction in the Senate, a president is no longer president. A new president takes the oath of office immediately, and that former president who was impeached and removed is done. That's it. There is no avenue to appeal. A president who has been removed from office cannot appeal that decision and be reinstated as president. Okay? And just practically speaking, what is the, the new president who has been sworn in and taken the oath of office uh, going to be kicked out as, and demoted back down to vice president? No, it's not going to happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. If a president is impeached by the House and removed by the Senate, the court is no way going to touch it. No freaking way. Beyond that, you would have the specter of what court is going to hear this? The Supreme Court, right? Obviously, it would have to be heard by the Supreme Court. Well, guess what? The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court was the presiding officer, you know, oversaw the trial in the Senate. The Constitution calls for that. Well, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court cannot be both the trial judge and then the appellate judge. Oh, but Mark, well, I, he, he can recuse himself. The, the further you go down that line of, of inquiry, the more ridiculous it becomes. It's a non-justiciable, it's a non-reviewable political decision that lies solely with the Congress. And in that way, it is a purely political decision that cannot be undone period. Um, so this argument that impeachment is not political <clears throat> is just a theoretical argument. Okay, now back to Levin. Where was I with uh, Levin? Uh, okay, another thing. So so his, his big point is that there is collusion here uh, between the whistleblower and the Democrats. Um, to which I say yes, but that's not a defense. It doesn't refute the charges. Both things can be true. There could be a coordinated effort to get the president and the underlying allegations be true. And I'm not arguing that they are. I'm arguing that um, this is not necessarily a defense. And these types of defenses are not going to work. This is a serious impeachment inquiry. It's a formal impeachment inquiry in the House. And this is going to turn on facts. We're going to have to deal with the facts whenever they come, whatever they are. That's what this is going to turn on. And I'm not suggesting that what Mark Levin is raising is not relevant. They are relevant. These things are relevant. And we should talk about them. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. And I'm not disagreeing with Mark Levin here at all. I am just trying to tell you the other side of it. Because it does us no good just to ignore all that. And here's the other thing, too, about how I view my role. I largely, in all this stuff, <clears throat> focus on what is the negative aspect about this for us. And the reason is because you get the cheerleading anywhere else. 
you you can get all of this stuff. You can get the, oh, but this is a witch hunt. And, oh, this is, the Democrats are coordinating with the whistleblower. And, well, what about Joe Biden? He's corrupt. And all of that stuff. <clears throat> I agree with all that stuff. I can come here and tell you all this stuff. But to me, it's a waste of time. I only have so much time here. I got a lot of things to talk about. And you already know that. You hear it literally everywhere else in conservative media. Go on Fox News, you'll hear that. Go on Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, anywhere else, you'll hear that. I don't need to tell you that which you already know. I think it's more important for me to spend my time telling you the things that they're not telling you. Giving you the flip side. So that you're not caught off guard. So you know the whole story and the whole argument. And that's why I'm telling you this. So I don't disagree with Mark Levin. I'm just saying... Well, that doesn't necessarily uh, refute these charges. That's the point. Another thing I heard him say is, well, he makes this point. He says, if this phone call was so bad, then why didn't anyone else who heard this phone call make a whistleblower complaint? That makes sense, right? Uh, if, if it's so bad, there were other people who heard this phone call. Well, why didn't they say something? Um, well, the problem is, there's a couple things. I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's a fair point, but there's a couple things about that. I don't find it terribly persuasive. And here's why. One, not everybody who hears something improper recognizes that it's improper. That's number one. Number two, and more importantly, not everyone who recognizes that something is improper um, are going to feel compelled to do something about it. <clears throat> number one, not everyone who heard the call is necessarily anti-Trump. And you would think that someone who's anti-Trump, who heard him do something improper, is probably more likely <clears throat> to take action and report it. Someone who is maybe pro-Trump might be less likely to take action and report it. So if there were pro-Trump people there, even if they did recognize that it was improper, they might, for their own political reasons, not wanted to do anything about it. Number three. Some people aren't going to report something improper because they just don't want to stick their neck out, right? That's hugely important. Why do you think we have whistleblower protections? Because most people don't want to come forward and, and report wrongdoing. So we want to make it easier for them to do so by giving them protections and anonymity. Even still, most people would rather not go through the hassle of reporting something. And if you're going to be reporting, I mean, most people don't even want to report on their boss, even with whistleblower protections, just their regular old, you know, my agency assistant director or somebody. Most people don't even want to report that because of the hassle, especially if there's no, no damage to them. If you're just somebody, you know, a stenographer basically writing down this phone call, look, if he did something improper, it's, it's not affecting you. And do you really want to stick your neck out? Well, a lot of people might not. So just because someone didn't report it, to me, is not persuasive that it didn't happen or that it wasn't improper. But beyond that, the phone call itself is not all that improper. And most people listening to it wouldn't recognize much improper in it. Um, I think what happened in that phone call, there is something that is improper. And that's the Rudy Giuliani aspect of it, as I already explained. <clears throat> Most people don't pick up on that and realize that that's a problem. A lot of people wouldn't. I, that's the gray area. And most people don't understand shades of gray. Most people don't understand the difference between a president acting in his official capacity versus acting in his, his, uh, his personal capacity. So I, I wouldn't you know, expect many people to even pick up on that. But... So, so really the Giuliani aspect of it, to me, is the only thing that sounds improper. But the phone call is not all of it. And so if you're just someone, who, all you know is the phone call. You, you were sitting in, sitting in for the phone call, or you heard the phone call later, you're transcribing it, whatever it is. Or actually, they, you wouldn't have heard it later because they don't record it. It's just the transcribers. So the, the transcription isn't even necessarily verbatim accurate. It's, you know, the best, it's the best we have because there is apparently no uh, recording of it. So if you're just someone who's heard the conversation, you're there in the room, or you read the transcript later, or whatever it is, 
you might not even necessarily see anything improper. So <coughs> pointing out that nobody else has come forward to me is not persuasive. The other po point about it is the phone call isn't the only thing. As I explained, there's a lot of surrounding activity surrounding this phone call. There were preliminary discussions. There were follow-up discussions. There were actions taken after the fact. Uh, all of this, we don't know any of that. And it could very well be that uh, this whistleblower, and this is complete speculation, but it's just to refute the idea that uh, because nobody else came forward that this is proof that there was nothing wrong. Well, this whistleblower doesn't just reference the phone call. They reference other things and other people. Now, those other people may have witnessed other things or know about other things, some of this other background information besides the phone call. And it may be those things coupled with the phone call that raise the red flags. So just the phone call taken on its own, if that's all other people were privy to, because not everybody involved here is privy to the same information. You have a whole bunch of different people in different roles. They have some bits of information, but not other bits of information. Some people have multiple bits of information, presumably. So if someone is just privy to the call, that's all they know. They don't know any about anything about anything else that's going on with respect to the call and the things discussed in the call. Then they wouldn't even necessarily think anything's wrong at all. So I'm. It's it's not persuasive to me that that nobody else reported anything and that's some kind of proof that there's nothing wrong. It's not just the phone call as people on our side are leading you to believe. That's not where this is going. If it if the phone call were the end of the story, I would agree there's nothing here. There's not enough here anyway. But the phone call is not going to be the end of the story. All this other stuff is going to be relevant because you can't understand what that phone call was about unless you understand all the other things. Because Trump clearly references other things, alludes to them. And we need to know what those are because that gives context to what we're hearing in the phone call. <clears throat> if there's preliminary discussions leading up to a phone call, you can't really understand what happened in the phone call without understanding those preliminary things that led to it. Okay, so we're going to have to find out all about that. Let's see. Um... Okay. Uh, the Joe Biden thing. That is another talking point on our side. Uh, but Joe Biden. But Joe Biden did this. But Joe Biden did, did that. But Barack Obama. All of that is true and, and I agree with it and those things should be said. In fact, Biden should be investigated. The Obama administration should be investigated. There is so much the Obama administration should be investigated over. And by the way, where the hell are all these indictments? I mean, we're told day after day that this was a coup, an illegal coup to bring down an elected president of the United States. You know, that, if true, and I believe it to be true, that is the biggest scandal, the worst scandal in American history. And yet to this day, not a single person has been held responsible. And don't give me that some people have lost their jobs. Well, Jim Comey got fired. Andy McCabe got fired. Oh, who freaking cares? Jim Comey got fired and then made 15 times the amount of money he ever made as FBI director by selling his book. All right, so he's not been hurt by being fired. He's been greatly enriched by being fired. Don't give me that. Andrew McCabe, I see his face on CNN all the time. He's a contributor. He's got a book deal. They're all doing well from having been fired. Nobody so far has suffered any consequences. The only consequences suffered by anybody involved in this have been the people who were loyal to Trump for crying out loud. Paul Manafort's rotting in prison. General Flynn, look what's happening to him. Roger Stone dragged from his, his, his bed with his wife in the middle of the night by a SWAT team. For what? Misstatements? Ugh, don't get me going on that. So yes, all these people should be investigated and indicted if they committed crimes, which I'm sure that they did. I mean, we know they lied to a FISA court. Okay, that's a crime. 
Where are the indictments? So don't take for a second that I don't think people should, you know, Biden and all these other people shouldn't be held accountable, investigated. They should be. However, with respect to the charges against Trump and impeachment, saying, but Biden and but Obama and but, 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 but what these other guys were doing, that's not a defense. Two things could be true. Joe Biden could be dirty and corrupt and may have committed crimes. That could be true. And it could also be true that Trump did something improper. And pointing out that Joe Biden did something improper does not absolve Trump or act as a an effective defense to these charges against Trump. So I understand why those points are being made and those points should be made. And I don't disagree with those points. Again, I it is my role to tell you the flip side that people on our side don't mention. <clears throat> and they make these points... Uh, thinking that they um, are dispositive. You know, pointing out that there was coordination between Adam Schiff and the whistleblower. Uh, that's not dispositive. That doesn't prove that the allegations are false. Again, both things can be true. All right, let me see. Oh, another thing I've heard is that because Trump released the transcript that's proof that he didn't do anything wrong because why would he release the transcript if it proved that he did something wrong well uh, that's a good point i get the point it's a point that should be made again however to me it's not terribly persuasive uh, because number one to me i see that transcript and there are red flags for me uh, the, to me, the transcript does not prove there was no wrongdoing. It actually does raise red flags and the potential for wrongdoing because he specifically mentions his private attorney and he wants Ukraine. He's talking the president of Ukraine, telling him, I want you to get with my private attorney and uh, coordinate on this investigation involving my political opponent. I'm sorry, that raises red flags. I don't care if it's a Republican office or a Democrat in office. That's red flags. If he had just said, I want you to discuss this with my attorney general, and that's all he said, that would not re raise red flags. But the second you make this about your personal political prospects and you are, are using your personal attorney in this, that is red flags. Now, that's not proof of a crime either, but it raises serious questions. So, uh, back to the point about releasing the transcript. <clears throat> so, one, releasing the transcript, to me, is not proof uh, that there was no wrongdoing. Because, one, as I said, it actually does prove that there is something to at least be concerned about and the potential for wrongdoing. Two... <clears throat> There are reasons why Trump would release it that don't necessarily mean that there was no wrongdoing. One, we knew about the transcript. Once we found out about the transcript, that's when the calls began for him to release the transcript. It's, it's kind of this thing, you know, what's worse? The truth or the cover-up? And it could have been, they looked at this transcript and they said, you know what, it doesn't sound that bad. They know about it now. And if we don't release it, they're going to be accusing us of a cover-up and all of this. It's better to get ahead of this and release it and then say, see, there's nothing wrong here. That could have been their calculation. Even though there is evidence, well, not evidence, suggestion of something um, that could be a problem on that transcript. They could have looked at it and said, well, even still, uh, it's not that bad and it might be worse if we don't release it. So that could have just been a political calculation, not necessarily smoking gun proof. Aha, there's nothing wrong here. That could just be a political calculation. The other thing, too, is it may very well also be that Trump and his advisors looked at this and didn't 
realize the import of the Rudy Giuliani part of this. That's a possibility too. I don't necessarily buy that one. I'm just raising the possibility. Somebody on on the president's team must have known that the fact that Trump mentions Rudy Giuliani in this phone call and, and wants the president of Ukraine to talk with his personal lawyer about this investigation, somebody on his team had to know that that's not good. So I don't really think that one's true. I don't necessarily know that Trump recognized that that's not good. Okay, I don't believe that Trump knows all about everything. Um, this is a, really sort of a legal thing. And it may be that Trump did not appreciate how bad that is and why you shouldn't do that. That's possible too. But I, I think somebody on his team had to have. I think it could very well have been that they just simply made a political calculation that releasing it would not be as bad as not releasing it. That, that call, the, the accusations of a cover-up would be worse. And eventually they'd be forced to turn it over. Either politically or legally. They would, have, they would be forced ultimately to turn this over, more than likely. And knowing that, it's better not to go down that road and get the accusations of a cover-up. Better just to put it out there and argue that, see, it doesn't show anything bad. So, all right. Another thing that concerns me and raises red flags is this allegation that the phone call, the transcript, was archived... Um, an electronic system in which it shouldn't be, and that this was highly unusual, that it was archived in a system that is reserved for highly classified materials. This phone call did not meet that criteria. There was nothing in this that was highly classified. Uh, and so the allegation is that they were trying to hide this, that they knew that this, there was something improper on here, perhaps the Giuliani component, uh, and that they wanted to hide this and cover it up. Now, I don't know that that's true, uh, but that concerns me. Because, again, this Giuliani thing, while there could be a good explanation for this, um, I will not pass judgment yet, it, it, it stinks, to be quite frank. It's very troubling. And they may very well have known that. You know, Trump may have uh, said this, and his people recognized right after the phone call, oh man, why did you mention Giuliani? That's, you know, we can't, we got to hide this. If that happened, you know, that's not good. And that could, you know, and I don't know that any of this is true. I don't know if, if, if it was hidden, as they say, if it was put on this system. And, and maybe there's a good reason, if it was put on this system, there may be a good reason why that had nothing to do with covering it up. I don't know. These are all facts we don't know. But I am just imagining basically worst case scenario and what could potentially happen. I'm not, you know, I'd rather envision the worst case scenario um, than just to stick my head in the sand and pretend that uh, it's just a witch hunt and that alone, just saying that is just going to make this go away. I hope that as the facts come out, that a lot of these things are disproven. There was it, it wasn't moved to this other system, or if it was, there is this good explanation for it. There was no cover up, and I'd love to hear um, that there's this good explanation for the Rudy Giuliani um, connection to all this. And I'd love to hear all of this. Good explanations for all of this, and I'd love to see this whole thing just fizzle out, go away. To, to know that nothing improper happened. Um, that's what I want to see happen. But I am just looking at it and I'm telling you honestly, these are the questions that come to my mind when I hear this stuff. All right. Let me see. Okay. One, one last thing. I wrote this earlier on Twitter. It was intentionally cryptic. Here's what I wrote. Keep an eye on Attorney General William Barr. He may be pivotal. Right, that was intentionally cryptic. I have to be intentionally cryptic on my social media sites. I can't be completely honest like I can be here on the podcast. Okay, my my social media is filled with 
the Kool-Aid drinkers, the, the, the Trump cheerleaders, with whom you cannot have a serious conversation. All they want to hear is Trump is the greatest president in the history of the world, and anything short of that, um, they just go crazy and unfollow you and attack you and all that. And who needs it? Um, so I'm intentionally cryptic. That's, one, that's another reason I did the podcast. It's a place where I can come and be completely honest with you. Not that I'm ever dishonest on my social media sites. I never am, ever. I just don't necessarily tell you everything I'm thinking on those platforms. I do that here on the podcast. The other reason is uh, social media does not lend itself for deep discussions of anything. And a lot of these things that I, that I try to think through, I can't really find a good way to communicate that in a stupid tweet. So it's just, it's not, it's pointless. So I use these different platforms, the podcast versus social media versus my website and, and, and YouTube and things like that. I use them for different things. And, um, okay, so I, I posted that, I, I made it cryptic, and it's funny to watch people. I know what I meant when I wrote this, but it's funny to read the comments. Most people, as, as I figured, would um, not get my point. But here's my point in writing that. <clears throat> Attorney General William Barr was implicated. He was mentioned by Trump in this phone conversation. There are growing questions by the Democrats about William Barr. He needs to, he needs to, tell, uh, he needs to say something on this and whatever. There, there's going to be pressure on him. Now, I don't know if William Barr was privy to any of this stuff in terms of Trump trying to get Ukraine to investigate Biden. <clears throat> I don't know. All I know is that he was mentioned. That doesn't necessarily mean that Barr knew anything about it. I'm sure now that it's you know, Barr has been publicly implicated, if he didn't know anything about this, uh, or if he didn't know the extent of it or whatever, he is going to try to find out for himself. He's going to want to know what was going on. If anything improper happened, I don't think William Barr... I, look, I don't know that much about William Barr, but completely honest. I really don't. He was an attorney general for George H.W. Bush. I don't know that he is necessarily like a big, you know, Team Trump guy. I He's certainly not an anti-Trump guy. I think he has been loyal to Trump. I, I don't see any reason to doubt that. Uh, I don't think that he would want to backstab the president or anything like that. Um, and I... I really don't know a lot about him, but the assumption I make about him is that he uh, largely is supportive of the president, but I don't think he would take a bullet for the president. And if anything improper happened here, besides minor improprieties, if something obviously bad happened here and his name was dragged into all of this, um, I wouldn't expect him to just allow himself to be drugged dragged through the mud on this. He basically came out of retirement for this. He, this is not something he actively sought. He was approached and convinced to take the attorney general job. I don't think it's the end of the world to him if he has to resign and go back to private life and enjoy his retirement. I don't think that would be a bad thing for him. I don't think, just based on what I know, and again, it's limited, I don't think William Barr is willing to trash his reputation and his life's work to defend the president. So if there was anything improper here and William Barr finds out about it, I would not be surprised if he resigns. If that happens, Trump's a goner. So that's why I wrote, keep an eye on Attorney General William Barr. He may be pivotal. If you see William Barr resign, uh, you can take it to the bank that Trump will be impeached. And I think uh, it is much better than even money that Trump will either be forced to resign or that he'll, he will be removed from office. Now, I am not predicting that William Barr 
will resign. <clears throat> I'm not. Um, there One, there may not be anything improper. William Barr might look into this and, and conclude, this is... This is all blown up, way out of proportion. There is nothing improper here. Um, and then fully support the president and not resign. I mean, that's, I hope that's the case. And that may very well be the case. Another thing that could be the case is he, may, he might not get access to the information that he needs to make a determination. He might not be able to find out. I have no idea. I have no special information. I am only working off the same information that all of you are working off that's it. Uh, I am just trying to game things out. And it just, you know, with William Barr having been implicated by Trump in this conversation, brought up by Trump in this conversation, I can't help but wonder, you know, what is uh, William Barr thinking? What might he do? And what if something improper did happen? And depending on, and, and, and if something did happen, Depending upon how improper it was, is there anything illegal here? Is there an abuse of power here? And if there is, and William Barr finds out about it, and those are two, two huge ifs, if that were to happen, what would he do? I would put my money on him resigning. I just don't think he would take a bullet for the president, and I don't think he would allow his life's work to be tarnished and his res reputation to be destroyed <clears throat> in order to cover up wrongdoing if he if he discovers any. So that was just that was just a thought and as I say to you guys, I'm going to be completely honest with you and again, this is all speculation. So I'm just thinking aloud to you guys because I know you're probably trying to work through all of these issues yourselves based on the limited information you have. You probably have all kinds of thoughts going through your head. Uh, and, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm trying to think through these things. I have my own speculations and theories and all that. And I'm just sharing them with you. But if William Barr resigns, you can consider that the beginning of the end of Trump. I don't see how he survives that. He won't survive it if that were to happen. But I'm not predicting it. So, so it's just... That's just sort of an interesting aside, something I was thinking of. And by the way, I know when I get off this podcast and I read more and I think more, I'm going to come up with other ideas, other thoughts, some way off the mark, maybe some not so way off the mark, I don't know. But I will share them with you as they come to me. But if you have some theories, if you have some interesting points that you see, that you think about, that you formulate in your head, Share them with me. I'd like to know what you guys are thinking. <clears throat> but don't tell me what you heard on, you know, Rush Limbaugh or Mark Levin. I already know all that. Every single thing you hear over there, you, you, you hear everywhere. Now, Mark Levin, to his credit, does come up with things that nobody else comes up with. But as soon as he says it, everybody else repeats it. So the point is, I don't want to hear what we already hear everywhere else. I want to hear uh, a unique take. If you have a unique take on any of this, if you have a point that you haven't really heard anywhere else, I'd like to hear it. Let me know, and maybe I'll discuss it on the podcast. <clears throat> so that's it. Uh, I've done this for an hour now, so I'm not going to have time to get to any of... Um, any of these other issues that I want to discuss. So I'll just I'll just leave it there. And um, again, if I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast, I'm probably not going to do another podcast until next week. It's Friday. I want to enjoy the weekend. I have done weekend podcasts before. And if there is a compelling reason for me to do so, I will. But I'm not anticipating doing so. I don't want to do so. And I'm not planning on it. So you won't hear from me on the podcast until next week. However, uh, I may post what I'm calling impeachment updates on my Patreon page. If, if, there's, if I have another thought that I just feel like sharing, if there's some piece of information that I don't want to wait until next week to analyze and discuss with you that comes out between now and then, <clears throat> I may just uh, 
get behind the microphone and record 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, and, and discuss it and immediately put it up on Patreon uh, as an update. If you are interested in um, having access to those, then go over to my page at patreon.com slash markpantano. You can sign up and subscribe over there um, and uh, you can get access to all this and help support the podcast as well. And in the meantime, be sure that you are following my social sites if you are on them. Facebook, Twitter, I do have a YouTube um, channel that I put the audio of this podcast up on, but uh, I will be in the not too distant future doing other videos. I, I haven't done any yet, but I'm planning on it, including turning the cameras on while I record this podcast. And so once I start putting that up, you'll be able to see that at YouTube. So go over there and subscribe to my channel if you do YouTube. Leave me positive reviews on the different platforms that you listen to this podcast on if you're able to do so. And importantly, help me spread this podcast. Largely, the only way I'm going to do it is with word of mouth by you guys. Uh, I'm... I'm I'm not really going to promote it in any other way, uh, so I'm relying on you guys. I post I post links up on the social sites now and then, but largely it's go I'm I'm relying on word of mouth uh, by people who listen to the show and like it to spread it to their friends and family who might also like it. So that's it. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend, and we will be back here next week to do this again. And until we do, remember, continue to fight the left like your freedom depends on it, because it does.